Hello and welcome to the Film Ireland podcast. I'm Gemma Cray and I'm chatting with FX and Look of Pictures supervisor Pab Grochola ahead of the Render Festival. Render Festival takes place on the 29th of February and the 1st of March in Belfast and online. Okay, so thank you so much for chatting with us. You've such an interesting CV. Um, I'd love to talk to you about how you went from fine arts into uh, into VFX. Like, I mean, it is a natural artistic endeavor, but there's a whole lot of, of, of technical nuance and understanding. Yeah, it was a weird transition in the sense that when I was starting out in visual effects wasn't really a career as such. I mean, it was just about like starting. So that was right, right um, just... 1999, I graduated from art school. And my, the first question I had to myself was, how am I going to make money? Right. How am I going to support? I, I, I knew I wanted a family and I was, I was really worried about that. So, and this whole kind of computers and art thing was just about starting out. And I thought that there would be some opportunity there in terms of like trying to apply all the stuff that I'd learned with arts and what I was interested in, in kind of like creating, being creative, but at the same time being paid for it basically. And I just, I was really worried about the financial implications of being a, like a fine artist. So it was kind of, it was really like a money thing <laughs> and security, you know. But what's the sort of journey? So you graduate from college, you go to an internship yeah. or like extra training or a master's, or is it something that you, you know, you get on the job experience? Well, when I graduated, there was no degrees you could do in computer animation. It didn't, that whole thing didn't even exist. So it wasn't like I could, I, if that existed, I probably would have done it. But there was no visual effects courses. There was nothing like there was one book on Maya. So what I did is I, I basically graduated from school and I said to myself, okay, I'm going to teach myself Maya. And I, I treated it like a job in that I went to my parents' house every day and I read the book cover to cover. And I taught my, I got myself a computer that could run Maya. And I just, just basically treated it as like, I taught myself. And I did that for almost a year where I was just kind of like learning about 3D on my own with as many books as I could get. And there weren't that many at the time. And then by pure chance, I happened to be in the bar chatting to some some lady and the lady was um, the worked for the only visual effects company in Melbourne. And I told her what I was doing and she's like, oh, my God, you have to come over and meet the team and chat to them and I basically worked as a kind of like free kind of like internship but worked for free for three months as, a, as like an intern at that company and that's how I got started. God that's such a like a fortuitous meeting <laughs> like it's, here you that, were like hanging out so, there every day. Yeah 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 it's totally like I don't believe I'm not one to believe in this kind of like whole um, destiny or or fate thing but like that was such an amazingly lucky meeting because there's, there's, she was like literally there was only one company in Melbourne that did that kind of thing. And I just happened to meet that person at that right time. And I'm interested because I think like, OK, visual arts is is one element. And would you have found um, when you were, you know, doing that as as an undergrad, you were drawn to specific elements of it that would feed into VFX? Like, would you would you have sculpted? Would you have been more of a painter? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I mean, at that time, I was just, I was a bit of, I have a little bit of a geeky streak inside of me. So I, I like the kind of technical stuff. So I'm I'm this kind of like weird blend between someone that I think is fairly creative, but also fairly technical at the same time. And I like the technical stuff because it makes, it opens up the possibilities of doing more interesting, creative things. You know, when you're in high school, you're kind of like learning about math and it's like, 
oh, there's a train going at this certain speed and blah, 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 blah. What, what is the, the result? And you're like, when will this ever be applicable to my life? And I just found that whole way of learning totally like uh, a turnoff. But when, when it comes to learning about mathematics and physics, as it relates to me being able to do something creative with it, then I'm all in because I can see the application, right? Because doing creative stuff is something I want to do and learning the technical stuff helps me to do that. Then I'll, I will learn it hundred percent and I'm fascinated by it. So um, yeah, I'm kind of like this weird balance where I kind of like enjoy the creative stuff, but it, there wasn't anything really specific about the CG stuff that tied into my visual aesthetic from college, from, from university is more the, the appeal of like, Oh my God, I could do so many cool, interesting visual things with this. And that, that's I, that, that idea I found fascinating. And bear with me, this is sort of a strange question. I'm always interested in people that excel like to a world level and and uh, in specific fields that are just just maybe like difficult. Like it would be very difficult to explain your job to someone who's just sat down and, and doesn't understand it. And I do think like it sounds like even natural aptitude and then, you know, understand that creativeness in, in like achieving a look and, and a space. And I'm just wondering... Do you feel like there's a way that you process information naturally? Like you were saying, you know, like you you did you weren't really into maths, but actually then when you could really see the application of the maths, your brain started to click in and go, oh, I'm really enjoying this now. Do you feel like there's something like in, in the way that you understand things that makes it easier to like imagine in 3D or to 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 picture like what something will look like when it finishes? Well, First thing to say is I don't think there's anything particularly exceptional about me at all. The only the only thing that I would say that I'm I think I have a more um, natural tendency to do than most other people is I really really enjoy trying to understand how things work, you know how kind of like how the sausage is made so to speak. So I want to know how like how everything is work, works from the, from the from the base level so that I'm in full control over it in order to be more, have more power, to be more creative. So that's, if I was kind of trying to kind of like think, think about, and, and I also just generally enjoy problem solving, but creative problem solving, not kind of like puzzles. I don't sit around doing puzzles. I just, I, I enjoy kind of like the challenge of, we have this thing to do. And if, especially if no one has figured out how to do it, I find that really interesting because it's like, oh, that's a challenge. I don't know how, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but it's, it sounds, it sounds like fast. I'm really fascinated by that challenge of, of doing things that no one, no one has, has tried yet. So just naturally, I guess. Yeah. So, and, and I, I'd love to get into um, your kind of path as you moved your way up through the ranks to working on like some of the most gorgeous <laughs> and interesting um films I've seen in a while what like okay so you start out you you get your internship and it, it like is it just a case of you're good you're given more responsibility and a slightly bigger title um do you like you were saying it's the only place do you is, is it like that's your home or you know have you tried other areas and maneuvered around have you maybe tried an area and it yeah. wasn't for you hundred percent. Like, so when I first started out I started out in commercials and the good thing about working in commercials is you get to experiment on all the different disciplines that exist within visual effects. Cause there's a lot of different career paths just within visual effects, right? You could be a modeler, you could be a texture artist, you could be a compositor, so many, an animator, there's so many different things. And I think 
I was very, very quickly discovered that I'm a terrible animator. <laughs> like, unfortunately, because when I first started out in CG, I thought animation is the thing I wanted to do, but it turned out I wasn't very good at it and I didn't enjoy it. And when you don't enjoy something, you're, you're, you're much more likely to be bad at it, right? Because you're not going to and this is just it just goes into the same thing where again because it's so technical what was it about the processes of animation like a oh god and it's probably something that's even hard to explain to a, a, a lay person but but what is it yeah. about that just didn't satisfy you you know you have a problem you're sorting it out in in your your own daily work and you get that dopamine hit but what is it about the animation thing that's sort of frustrating Okay, I can tell you. I can tell you specifically what that is, and that the the thing is when you're working. Okay, so I'll describe it for the audience that doesn't isn't aware of what this means. But effects artists and effects animation is basically a much more technical division of visual effects. You're simulating things. You're problem solving. It's very. It's more mathematical. But at the same time, it can be also very creative. So that's the area that I specialized in: effects animation. So um, effects animation is kind of like, particularly because of the application that we use, and we, we use this application called Houdini, which is a visual effects software that's very, um, it's like, the way I would describe it is like, it's visual programming in the sense that you have very small Lego blocks of logic, and it's the way that you connect those small pieces of, of logic together to create um, kind of like very complex behaviors. So you're basically creating kind of almost like recipes of an action or a thing to do. Like there's gravity, somebody walking and there's gravity yes. and there's wind yes. and yes, exactly. rain. Like that. Yeah, but it's even on a much more granular level, level in the sense that there is a node that creates a sphere. And then I connect that node and I the next the next node, and when I say node, I mean the next piece of information that tells it to do something is it might move the sphere. And then after that, it might break the sphere. And then after that, so you create these really long chains of instructions. And I, I find that really interesting because it's almost like you're cooking in the sense that you're putting together little bits of like recipes, little, little ingredients, and then you cook them together. And the cooking process is the simulation that happens. And you're never 100% sure what the outcome is going to be. It's always a surprise. Like It's always kind of like interesting. It's like, oh, I'm not 100. I think if I add a little bit of this ingredient and a little bit of this ingredient, it might create this behavior, but you're never 100% sure. And I love that ambiguity. The ambiguity of not knowing what the final outcome is going to be kind of like ties into a more kind of like um, artistic part of my brain that that loves the the gray areas. Do you, do you see what I mean? Yeah. Whereas with Whereas with animation, it's very direct. It's like the behavior is this, I'm moving my arm here and it's very done by hand. And then if you want to change it, you got to do it again by hand. It's very manual. It's very repetitive. So it's like, it's like, it's, it appeals to a different way of thinking. It's like, it's the way of thinking of like drawing directly onto a piece of paper versus creating a recipe and not knowing what you're going to get and being interested in tweaking the recipe to get a slightly different flavor and experimenting with different flavors to get something you might not have expected. It's all very kind of, it's a more abstract way of kind of like working. And if someone put a gun to your head, like, and said, okay, well, look, you or, or like, or not the stick, the carrot, if someone is like, we're going to pay you like a, a disgusting amount of money um, to yeah. like, like a ridiculous amount to do like a, a big, long animation project, would you like be able to do it or like, and, and kind of like knuckle down and get it across the line? Or would you just be like, oh, oh. no. 
<laughs> it depends on depends on how long the, and it also like if i'm not enjoying something i can't do it like i mean There's, there's, there's a lot of things that I'm not, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of things in my work that I don't enjoy that I have to just muscle through. But if I, we're talking about like an extended long project where I'm doing something that I don't enjoy, I think I would feel bad because I'm not going to do a good job at it. And I wouldn't want to, 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 to inflict that on the project. You know, I feel bad that you don't want me to animate because that's, that's going to, that's not going to end well. So I would just feel bad that I would be put in that position for, for the, because the, the outcome is not going to be great. That's the main thing. Because it's important to feel like um, you're you're contributing something that you think is worthwhile. I I, th I think that that if if you don't feel that way, it's kind of like I I wouldn't stick around for very long. Wow, and it's it's such an interesting um, area. So when like just say when you first started, you were familiar with the software and you got your job in there. Um, Were you shadowing people quite a bit? You know, were you given kind of smaller tasks to do? How yeah. did it how did it like yeah. evolve from there? Oh, I think when you first start out, you're just kind of like observing what other people are doing and just trying to take in um, how how it all works. It takes such a long time to really feel comfortable. I mean, th there's this whole thing of imposter syndrome, right? I had imposter syndrome for probably the first 10 years of my career. I'm not kidding. <laughs> like, I just felt like I was this outsider because I'd come in from a fine arts degree. I, did, I didn't have any formal training in it. Um, I was just kind of like winging it and trying to understand it all by myself and figure it all out. Um, and a lot of people that I was working with um, at that time when I was in London had come from degrees from Bournemouth, where they were specifically learning, you know, visual effects. That kind of thing didn't exist in Australia. So it was like, it was very much like a case of me trying to, to, to kind of find a new identity for myself almost. God, because it's so it's so technical as well. Oh, and okay, so, it is. Yeah, um, and so like okay, so it was it was sort of money that drew you to the area, and then it was sort of a grow for the work that that brought you up through the ranks. Talk to me about what it takes. Um, like I know here we have um, it's almost like to to get from this role to this role in just say on set for crew you have to fill a bunch of criteria and have experience there is there something like that in the vfx world and is it is it is it specific training that you're given or is it like responsibility like how do you sort of maneuver to get that promotion or to get on the big gig or do you just have to do fabulous work all the time Well, I, th I think when you're starting out, it's a case, the first thing you should be doing is figuring out what it is you're passionate about and what do you enjoy doing? Because that's the thing that you got to probably be good at. And being good at that thing is the most, probably the most important thing if, you, if you're interested in kind of like progressing in your career, right? So if you can figure out what that thing is that you enjoy and what you're passionate about, then, then it's a case of just trying to like um, uh, work within the people in the company that do that thing and being mentored by them and, and trying to understand what it is about their work that makes them really good and, and try and kind of like develop a relationship with them and, and have them check your work and, and kind of like just collaborate with them as much as possible. I mean, the, the really cool thing about working for a big studio is that you can start off in a certain position and then you can move within the, within the studio, you can move to, to where you ultimately want to be. So if I was to give like a piece of advice for someone that's starting out it would be like, just try and get that first job, even if it's not your ideal position, so long as the company, the company that you're working for, if you can go into that with that first position, give it your all, but then make it clear with them that, Hey, I'm really kind of interested in this other area. Could you give me a chance 
I think it's very common for for people to move within like the studio to different positions and ultimately get to the position that they want to be. That that definitely happened with me. Um, I kind of like, you know, like I said, I started out doing commercial stuff, but then I went in and I very quickly realized that effects animation is where I wanted to be. And I, I, the company I was working for in London at the time was, I was lucky enough for that, that they really mentored me and helped me to get to that. So they trained you all the way up and then sent you off. To... Well, yeah. I think it's very common for people to move around. You know, it's not like this whole thing, uh, like, especially with our generation, like the whole gig economy, unfortunately, it's becoming, it's becoming more and more common that people um, start off in one company and they move to another and, and moving around at the beginning of your career makes a lot of sense because you kind of got to get pay, pay, pay jumps, you know, if you move around, it's much more kind of like, um, and, and, and then later on in your career, I think it makes sense to settle down a little bit so that you can stay in the one company and then build a career within that company and, and progress within that company. Because it's if you it, when a company is hiring the really top positions, they're always going to be hiring within the company, right? So it, it makes sense at the beginning to jump around and but then later on in your, later on in your career to, to, to settle down with the one company. Of course. And you were saying that you, okay, so you were doing commercials in London. Um, and then is there is there much of a difference in the ecosystem? Like, I mean, I know that it's sort of a, like commercials you were saying is a, is a different bag. But is there like even say work practices? Like if you were, you know, in France, say you would you would not be working late hours. And, you know, like and is there a different kind of cultural things where you're like actually in London? I, like, I don't know this. I'm just kind of giving an example like you know you're expected to work like insanely long hours coming up to a deadline but then can take loads of time off but actually in other places there's stricter like I don't like is yeah. there a different sort of 100 yeah. there's huge differences so I worked in Australia and then I worked in London and then I worked in the US right so they're the three big places that I've worked um, within the industry for and I can describe to you like some of the cultural differences between those three so in Australia um they're, in Australia and the UK are pretty similar in the sense that um, there's a lot of expectation for you to work uh, longer hours um, and sometimes not necessarily be fairly compensated, unfortunately. That was uh, certainly the, my experience back in the early 2000s. It might have changed since, since then. Um, but the, the US, especially California, has some very strict labor laws about like how, how you w working and being paid for overtime. So that that's kind of like that was the big difference I experienced when I moved to to the US was how how um I felt a little bit more protected as a as a kind of like worker. Yeah. Wow. God. And you hear about their, you know, like their salaries are much higher for like different rounds of tech and stuff over there. So it's interesting to see that they are, I suppose, I suppose London, if it's commercials, it's almost a different industry if it's Film, like I worked in commercials in Australia. I when I moved to London, I was actually working in film. So that my my whole the whole six six and a half years I spent in London, it was always it was working in film only. Um, I'm not sure. I I heard stories that commercials in London was even worse than working in film. Uh, but I never I never worked in commercials in London, and I had the same experience working in Australia. And and I did between London and and the US. I did actually go back to Australia for a number of years. So I got to experience what that situation was like. And it was very much like L London in the sense that there was the expectation to, you know, do overtime and, uh, but which isn't, which is not to say that we don't do overtime in the U S hundred percent. We do, especially in crunch time, but I feel like we get compensated for it more, for it more than we did in the UK. 
yeah, and you wonder like what's the the sort of mentality behind because you think oh like you know Europe they're they're generally surprising, quite strict surprising, so it's it? funny that it's yeah, culturally it's different. I know, and, and you think you think that in America it wouldn't be that way, right? You think that 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 perhaps in America the 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 system is kind of like um, not as in favor of the the worker because you hear a lot of stories about that. But in my experience, like, we, and certainly, and I'm not trying to paint a broad brush here and say that that's the whole of the American culture because I'm sure or it's not. But for my experience within my industry and and what what I've experienced, I I think that. The way I've been treated working in America is is quite quite remarkable. And and you've worked on over thirty features. Can you tell me what are some of your favorite things that you've worked on? Oh yeah, I I was thinking of thinking about this question a, a little while ago. I was like, why? What what are my favorite projects? And I think it's it's a really there's a lot of different facets to answer to that question because there's some. In some ways, I really enjoy working on projects that have done very well and are kind of have become part of the cultural kind of like discussion, you know, like the Spider-Verse films. It's kind of like there's a cultural like cachet being associated with those those films because everyone knows them and loves them so much, right? So that's fantastic that you're part of that project because you just mentioned that and a lot of people are like, wow, that's amazing. So that, that's a very nice feeling. And then, um, and the Harry Potter films are in that category as well, right? Harry Potter films and um, Edge of Tomorrow, but uh, a lot of the films that the the biggest thing for me personally as to whether or not I enjoy working on a film is just growth. How how much growth I've experienced working on that film because that's the most important aspect of work for me. Feeling like I'm becoming a better artist or a better technician. And for a long time at the beginning of my career, I could almost trace every single film and say, oh, I learned this thing on this film. I learned programming on this film. I learned this aspect on this film. So every film that I worked on contributed to kind of like putting a feather in my cap, you know, in a way. Um, but like the in terms of life, I had to really like say what were the most inspiring and, 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 and best films for me. I think in terms of growth, it's definitely the Spider-Verse films, the, this one and, and, the, and the first one, because I just learned so much about not only technical stuff, but also about art and where I fit in and what my what my um, kind of like philosophical understanding is of creativity and art. I've, I've thought about that a lot. And I kind of like I learned all of that working on those Spider-Verse films. Wow. Okay. I definitely want to dig in a little bit more. Can you just tell me more about that? What was the, like, what were the elements of it that really like lit up those brain cells for you? Uh, sure. So the, the, one of the big ones was the, um, the role of uh, information and imagination, like the, the link between those two things. So when I say information, I mean the amount of information you're given as, as, as a viewing audience um, when you, when you're, uh, when you're um, digesting an art piece, right? So when you're when you're digesting like a still art, there's a lot of in imagination that you use uh, to figure out what that still art means, right? Because there's no information about what what happened before, what happened afterwards. There's no music, there's no dialogue, there's no sound. It's very kind of like information poor medium. Whereas film, on the other hand, is a very rich information medium, and you're as a viewer, you're taken on a journey, and your imagination is kind of like you're still it's still imaginative, but you're kind of like your imagination is asked to take a backseat to kind of like go along this journey that the, the the director is setting up. He he wants you to feel a certain way at a certain stage in the, in the film, right? And the thing that the Spider-Verse films have for me is that they reduce the amount of information 
right? Because they reduce the amount of animation. They reduce the, it's it's stylized. It's not photo real. The backgrounds are very simple and very design orientated. There's way less visual information in a frame, in a still frame in Spider-Verse than there is in a regular CG animated frame. And that lack of information triggers your imagination because you're filling in those details with your own history, your own perception, your own kind of like understanding of what, what might that might be. And that ultimately personalizes your experience of looking at a piece of art because you're personalizing it. You're filling in those gaps of information with your own personal understanding. And that's one of, one of the big things I learned working on these Spider-Verse films is how important that is in art in general is creating those gaps of information. Um, that's 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 a that's a big one. Uh, um, that's fabulous. Do you have any more? Like that's actually very it's very poetic. <laughs> <laughs> um, another another one. Uh, th I did a whole talk on talk on this, and that, this is part of the thing that I'm going to be talking about when I come to Ireland. Um, but yeah, yes, to the sorry, we'll just flag that actually the Render Festival in Belfast. That's at the end of February and the beginning of March. Um, it, there, there's some brilliant brilliant speakers um coming so we won't we, i won't i won't steal too much into that i know you have great stuff prepared but we're and we're very grateful for you chatting with us now to for people to get a taster um but yeah tickets are available to buy online so um and we'll have links and a description in the bio as well cool cool yeah and i, I guess i won't talk too much more about it because it, like you're saying i will be discussing this in detail yeah. in, the, in the festival but the other one would be the, the role of line work in art and how line work plays such an important role in triggering an imaginative um, response in the viewer. Because there's kind of like two style, there's different styles of line work and in drawing. And this is all links back to my kind of fine arts history, where you, the, the depending on the kind of line work you make, you can trigger more or less an imaginative response within within the viewer. Wow. God, that sounds that sounds incredible. <laughs> um yeah, and, really and I'm fun. just yeah, I'm just I'm just interested to how your um like how your relationship is. So so you're working on films. Is it, are you always working with like the same team? Like you come as a package and you're you're generally working on the same things, but with different projects and a different director? Or like is is it is it sort of like fresh or different on every on every other one? It's it's generally different on every project. I mean, the Spider-Verse films are uh, unique in that sense that we've got, uh, I'm working with the same art directors and often the same director and obviously Chris and Phil being being the executive producers. But um, generally throughout my career, every project is like you're, 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 coming together as a team, as a new team. And it's, and sometimes you, you work with the similar people that you've worked with on different shows, but generally speaking, it's a new team every time. So you kind of have to develop you have to understand each other's like language, like when because what way people describe things, like when, when you're when you're transitioning from a verbal kind of like word dis based description of language into a visual one, there's there's that's a very difficult thing to do, and it takes some time to understand what people like um that that translation. Make sure that trans your your translation you're translating in your own head in the same way that the the person is describing. And the cool thing about working on the Spider-Verse films is working with people like Patrick O'Keefe and Justin Thompson and is that those, those guys, like they I've worked on a few projects with them now. So I think I'm starting to understand what they mean when they, when they describe things, but it's, that's, that's the cool thing about working with people 
like time again uh, on, on multiple shows that you start to kind of like use shorthand because you can understand what they're talking about. And is it a, is it a case of trial and error when you're c- conducting things? Like, do you ever spend loads and loads of time like creating something and it's not the right oh, thing all the time. and it, it gets, it's been turning. Oh no. Yeah. It happens all the time. And it's a lot of the time it's because you're just trying to discover what it is that you're after. It's like, uh, how do I describe it? It's like you're kind of like mining for gold and sometimes you're just digging in the wrong direction. And you it's not because it's anyone's fault. It's just that no one's really sure what it should be. And it's sometimes you just have to present something to trigger a, a kind of like, ah, that's it moment, you know, in, in someone. And so it's, it's, it's tricky. It's really hard. And that's probably one of the dif- most difficult things about going from fine arts to, to visual effects is that, when you're working on your own, in your own pieces in fine arts, you always kind of like directing that yourself, right? You're 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 the one that's navigating that. But when you're collaborating with another team, it can be difficult to invest a lot of creativity in one thing and then find out actually no, it was never this, and you have to abandon that and start again. But that's all just part of the process. Yeah, that, that that's so interesting. And and have you ever um thought about doing your own thing? Like, do you have say projects on the back burner that you're like, actually, when it's quiet, I'm gonna take a bit of leave and I'm gonna finally get that like that that kind of like existential artistic piece going. Yeah. That's like, do you have things like that, or are you just like, I do not want to go near a computer screen. I just want to go <laughs> like surf. I, so I totally have like fine arts projects that I do in the background, and but they're all related to kind of like um, fine art stuff. But in terms of like having um, a, a film or a short film, you you hear these stories about like you know when when um, you have bands that are very successful musicians, and they they're like we're really successful at this and they get kind of like this confirmation bias almost and they feel like oh we're really successful at this therefore it means we we could be successful at anything we can make our own music videos and they don't appreciate the artistry and the skill that goes into doing another kind of like aspect of like that craft and I think it's very easy to kind of like become ego driven and think that oh I'm really pretty good at this i could now direct my own film and without appreciating the the completely different skill set that that would take you know so i don't i don't for a moment kind of like kid myself that i could be like a director or like uh, go into like a totally different field without first really understanding what that is but i'm definitely um interested in kind of like taking what I've learned about from the visual effects field and applying it more to the fine arts realm. You know, that's, that's the part that I'm interested in. Um, and it's probably like better for your eyes. And yeah. How, how does that, how does that work? Like, do you, is it sculpture? Is it, is it painting? Is it? I drawing. I do big charcoal drawings, like, which has really helped me understand like, um, uh, uh, the visual language, like shapes and what, what makes things fit together and, um, so yeah, I, I do a lot of drawing basically. Yeah. And when you're, when you're sort of drawing it, like, are you thinking about the physics of the object? Yeah. I think being in three, having done 3d has actually helped because I understand, I think in 3d now naturally, like, uh, cause like we're previously going in, like just doing my fine arts degree. It wasn't something that I'd thought about that much, but now 3d is so ingrained in my brain that when I'm drawing, I'm very conscious of trying to be able to describe the, the, the shape that I'm seeing in my head and know that I'm feeling. And so it kind of, it's definitely helped in that sense. Um, and I just think there's really cool things to discover um, with 
pairing fine arts level stuff with with some of the visual effects um, ideas like that I've described. I'm really excited to do that one day, which but not yet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um so there's so much technology involved and and you started on on Maya. What are the biggest sort of shifts that you've noticed or like even trends on how they've impacted your um job and day-to-day role? Well, when I, when I was starting cuz I've been in the industry for quite a while, right? When I was starting out, it felt very much like we were flying by the seat of our pants and trying to figure out how to do things. It's like, how do we, how do we achieve this? And with always with the ultimate goal of photorealism though, right? Photorealism was the thing everyone was super fixated on. Do you not get weirded by the uncanny valley? I think that's why the, the, the Spider-Man films are so gorgeous because they're just, they're beautiful and we get them and, and there's yeah, something you know, Do you know why that is? It's because of that lack of information. Like that, that, that gap of information, that stylization has left space for your brain to fill in. You, whereas when you describe try and describe something perfectly with photorealism, if there's even the most minuscule error in that, your brain instantly goes uncanny valley. It looks weird. Because we're presenting to you uh, the idea that, hey, I'm going to show you something that's super photoreal. You're not going to question it. This is perfect. But then our brains are so good at looking hum- at human faces and recognizing minor errors in human faces because of our evolutionary past, right? We have to do that for, you know, for, for mating reasons and whatnot. That as soon as our brains do that, we just totally t- uh, turned off by it. And that's, but with, when you're talking about stylization and creating gaps, we're not presenting that as being the thing that we're trying to do. So your brain is opened up to the idea of like just buying the stylization and just filling in the gaps that are missing in it. And that's why it feels more um, genuine and authentic, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because, yeah, that's that's very interesting. Are there any sort of trends that you like aside from like the photo reel is, is there anything that you're like oh I, I don't enjoy that trend or you know like that's really had its time or like is there oh. anything that you're like oh that really dates the project back to this exact era when that was in vogue well I, I, was, I was thinking about this whole thing of like trends and our nostalgia for certain aesthetics right and like you, you can see right now there's a big trend and nostalgia for film for, for photography film photography right because everyone's kind of sick of digital and it's like the, the film photography has kind of come back in a way. And I think it's I think it's because also it's expensive. So it's like when you have that, you know, like you know the way you can uh, kind of ape the cheaper look, or like you know you can get a loan of a red or like, and but like you're not going to like you can't get film <laughs> like it's yeah. so expensive. You have well, to have loads of money. It's interesting that you kind of like how do we how do we as humans um, attribute value, right? What is that? What is valuable? Like what is, and I think what uh, for me, something that is most valuable as an artist is new ways of seeing, new ways of seeing, right? That's like, and you see that throughout art history, right? As soon as artists come up with new ways of seeing, that is kind of like permeates the landscape of art. For example, Impressionism, right? They came up with this new way of looking at things that wasn't that didn't exist. And then after that expressionism. So you kind of like, and and it t- maybe it takes a while for people to catch on 
that that's what's happening. But as soon as they do, you can kind of like that, 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 that to me is the mark of um, success. When you, when people uh, emulate something you're doing, it means you're having a ripple, you're, you're rippling into the, the culture, the, the culture, you know, and that's the, the, the most amazing thing about being involved in the Spider-Verse film is because I feel like we've had a ripple effect within the kind of animation industry and people are trying to kind of are appreciating that we're, we're showing new ways of seeing animation that hasn't been done before. Yeah. And and that really tickles people as well. Like, yeah, because I saw the turtles and then you're like, oh, and you really see like, oh, it's it's, yes. it's an homage. Like, how did they even get on that that quickly? Because it wasn't even that long right, ago. Right. Um, yeah. But the um one of the things i think is is like is is it changing the way the the physical way that we look at things um vr that like that's on the horizon is that something that you're considering now with i know the apple vr device has just come out or is it something that is very much so on the long finger to to until it kind of settles in yeah I, i'm not really sure what the i don't have much of a kind of like um opinion about the vr stuff outside of feeling like I don't like it personally because it makes me feel nauseous. And also I don't like how cumbersome the headset is. And I think I would, it would be something that I would be interested in if it was kind of like, if it got to a point where it would just be a pair of glasses that I could put on, that was very kind of like not obtrusive. And I didn't look like I was scuba diving <laughs> when I went outside, you know, it's kind of like, it's one of those, but I think, I think there's a, like, when I have like experience, seen it and experimented with because my son's got a VR headset there's definitely something there and, and kind of something interesting but I think maybe I'm just a little bit more traditional on that I like my like art I like kind of like my artwork in the real world in a frame or kind of like that kind of like or on a screen but yeah I, there's there's definitely something there when when you asked about like what I see as a trend the first thing that I thought of was the whole AI thing right that's what everyone's talking about and what kind of impact that's going to have on the industry and I think in some ways I'm kind of excited about it because of what we just discussed about kind of like where we assign, how hu as humans we assign value to things, right? I think what AI is going to do is it's going to make um, that whole history of art that we have, a, a whole section of historical art that we have, it's going to make it very easy to produce and in a very quick way. In the, and ultimately that's going to make that feel cheap. Right. So that's going to open up the door for more experimental, interesting things. Right. Because if we all kind of as humans go, oh, that's so easy to make. That's so cheap. That's kind of like it's it is going to it does have the risk of cheapening that that all that kind of history behind us. Right. So it's going to open the door for really inventive, imaginative artists to show us new ways of seeing. Because AI is incapable of doing anything new. Fundamentally, what it does is it it's basically like a really cool synthesis and mixing of all the learning and all the data that's fed into it, right? It can't create anything new by, by, by its definition. It's a static model. It's not inventive in the, like humans are. So I think I'm excited to see as soon as we get to that point where it becomes cheap and like everyone's just like, oh, yeah, I could do a cat in on the moon in a photorealistic way. No problem. There's no value in that anymore. What are humans going to do in response? I think that's exciting. Yeah, I suppose that's it. That's why like, you know, people 
again, like when the 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 camera was invented, like that changed everyone's relationship yeah, with the image. And that's it. Yeah. Like we're so it'll be interesting to see how we process things. Can I, can I just say one more th one more thing about the AI thing that that I haven't heard a lot of people talking about, and that's how AI ha the interaction of how artists um, work with AI, and how when you're creating artwork, it feels like you go on a journey, right? You kind of map out where you want this artwork is going to where you want this artwork to be, right? You kind of like draw yourself a rough map, and you say, "All right, ultimately, this is my goal." And then you you go through, step through it in stages. It's like climbing a mountain. You get to certain uh, milestones and you look back and you think, okay, this is where I've been. This is where I'm going. You keep going along that journey of creating that artwork until you, until you get to that final result. And then you get to that final result, you, re you reflect on your journey and you think about all the things that you've learned and you kind of grow as a result of that, right? Working with AI is so unsatisfying because in working with AI, especially the prompt stuff, it just feels like you're teleported to an ending. You're not going on any journey. You haven't really learned anything. It's just unsatisfying process for an artist. And I think um, that's something that not a lot of people talk about. Like, and, and they should, because process is so important. Like when you're kind of like trying to like create, that's actually something else I learned about Spider-Verse, is how important that, that process is uh, and how much process influences the ultimate artwork. You know, and how how um unsatisf unsatisfying that is for AI. Yeah, and like okay, so so Spider like that just sounded like such a kind of like a project that was such a part of your evolution. Like, are you nervous now? You'll never get that challenge again. Like, or is there always another hur like hurdle to climb? Do you know? I'm hoping I'm hoping that I can get stay on projects where I'll always feel like I'm being challenged and and pushing some boundary that that. that but you never know. It might. I mean. You know, after the first Spider-Verse film and the reception it had, I was like, that's it. That's it. I'm never going to be on another film that's that high, well-received. This is the pinnacle of my career. It's over. I'm, I'm happy to have gotten here. It's done. But I was quite amazed at how well-received the second one has been. And I, I wasn't expecting it because it's just because of how because I'd been to, through such a high on that first one. But so you never know, maybe, maybe the, the third one will be even higher and then maybe there'll be a project after that that, that tries to capture some of that also. But I think it's very rare to be involved and I feel incredibly lucky to be involved in a project that has such cultural weight, you know, that has such a kind of like, has such a big following, uh, fan following. And, uh, and it's very humbling. That to be involved in something like that. Oh, there's there's hundreds of euros specifically in Legos, specifically in Spider-Man Legos in this house right now. <laughs> like it's just <laughs> it's like it, it is like everywhere. It's all over the world. It's it's um but like that, it just it really kind of speaks to people. Was that like so that was for you, that was the sort of the best moment of your career working on those films, do you think? I or think. did you have other landmark moments? Uh, I think that you mentioned. I, I think earlier in my career it was a I was very much mixed it was very much mixed uh, the actual work itself was mixed with a feeling of insecurity about uh, not being good enough and not not being that having that imposter syndrome and feeling like I'm kind of I, I'm kind of like not not where I should be um whereas I, kind of like it takes such a long time to feel comfortable with it within the with well, it took it does for me anyway it took me a really long time to feel like okay i'm not completely hopeless at this <laughs> i kind of know what i'm doing 
and I should just trust myself that it's that when I have an idea, it's good. It's it's not going to be a terrible idea, and I should follow through with it. I should kind of like because I think I'm I have a tendency. I, I I'm quite inventive in 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 a way, and I think my brother's the same. But he he he's inventive in in he's a doctor of physics, and he invents in a very scientific field, whereas I'm inventive in a more creative kind of like metaphysical field. So it's kind of like, but trusting yourself and trusting that you're when you have a gut feeling about where to go somewhere is something that I've learned um, throughout my career to, to to be more, yeah, to be more trusting of that. Wow. And that that's, I think that's a, a lovely kind of like note to end on as well to say like, you know, trust your, your, trust your guide and your instinct of where you're going to be. And I think you mentioned that earlier about you can't work on projects that you're not really stimulated by and I, I think so many people get into that this industry as that because you know like okay you did find one of the areas that 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 pay but like you know like there's there's not huge amounts of, of wealth being given so you're doing it for the passion for the most part in in certain areas and um god and I think like what you did with the the Spider-Man films has changed the world like is genuinely like change the way people see and feel about something on a personal level, but like literally <laughs> across the globe, like which is which is amazing. Yeah. That's the it's very it's very humbling, and I have to point out I'm one of a very very big team, so I didn't I don't think my role was like was that 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 exceptional in, in that sense because there's so many people that are so talented across the board, and the thing that made these films so amazing is that it's 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 really high level on on all aspects on music on dialogue on voiceover on kind of like on, on story it's like the whole thing is shooting on all cylinders and i think that that's what people have responded to and you'll be in belfast yes so at the end of the month Excited. so from the people want to um pick your brain in the hair at Please. that wonderful festival yeah. um definitely do we'll have the link um to the festival where you can get tickets um, in the description so thank you so much for chatting with us thank you thank you that was just so interesting my mind is blown now thanks thanks Gemma.